What is going on, everybody? Welcome to A Theology of Hustle. I'm your host, Curry Blanford, and today I'm talking to Shannon K. Evans. So I had Shannon on to talk about her book, Rewilding Motherhood. And y'all, it is awesome. This is like such a great conversation just about the spirituality of parenthood. A lot of times when we talk about the work conversation, we're not including the work that we do in the home, which can be a lot of different things. It doesn't necessarily have to be child rearing, but in this episode specifically, we get into what does it mean to child rear as a, as a follower of God? What does it mean to, to be a, a parent uh, in relation to God and in relation to our, our spirituality and the kingdom of God? And so we get into all sorts of amazing topics. We talk about Catholicism, which she has uh, converted. She and her family have converted to Catholicism. We talk about some of the why behind that. We talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus and the the importance for uh, understanding the life of Mary. We talk about uh, going to therapy and the, and the importance of that. We are uh, in so many just great topics in this one. You're going to get a ton out of this episode. Uh, even if you're not uh, in a season of parenting, uh, there is a lot to be uh, gained from this episode and how we just think about ourselves in relation to our children and, and what that means for, for our work. So uh, before we get to the interview, I just want to make sure you're following me on Instagram and Facebook at Theology of Hustle and on Twitter at Curry Blanford just to stay to date with everything I got going on in the podcast, all these amazing people coming on. And yeah, I hope you enjoy hearing from Shannon. All right. Well, Shannon, thanks so much for making time and coming on the podcast. It's exciting to chat. Yeah. I'm so eager for this conversation. Happy to be here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's, uh, let's just start off and maybe just have you kind of introduce yourself a little bit to everyone. Sure. Um, my name is Shannon Evans. I am married to a fella named Eric. We've been married for 15 years and we have five kids, one adopted and four biological. And we live in Iowa, central Iowa. And yeah, I'm a writer. I write um, kind of in the contemplative Catholic tradition. I'm Catholic, um, but was raised Baptist. So have a very like ecumenical sense of being in the world, I would say. And um, Let's see, I write a column for the Jesuits and I have written for a lot of different, you know, online and print publication. Um, G's Magazine was one of my recent favorites. I love, I love what they do. So yeah, I, I, I write a lot, I mother a lot and um, try to just be involved in my community and that's kind of my life. I love it. I love it. I appreciate all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I even appreciated. Uh, so we're talking about your book, Rewilding uh, Motherhood, which is awesome. And uh, I very much enjoyed, but just even in there, you're talking about your story of sort of your conversion from, you know, a Baptist background into Catholicism. And I love that there was just like, there was little pieces of you all throughout the book, you know, where like, these things really like were brought into your life, I guess, which I thought was cool. So, yeah, it's like, it was important to me. Um, I didn't necessarily want to make it a memoir because yeah. I wanted it to be a little bit more like personally applicable for the reader, but you know, as a reader, I really enjoy personal anecdotes and like just yeah. learning a little bit more about where the author is coming from. So I, I did try to include that. I'm glad it was, glad it worked out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's just an, you can identify yeah. more with somebody who's telling their story, right? That's why we like humans are attracted to stories. That's just, you know, that's what yeah. we do on this pod. That's what the podcast is, you know? So right. uh, I love that. It's cool. Um, okay. 
let's let's I feel like if we dig into the book, we'll dig into a lot of like of those aspects of your life since it is so uh, personal for you. So can you just talk about like where rewilding motherhood came from and just the yeah, kind of the genesis of all of that? Yeah, so my um, <laughs> the line that I always start with, because there is just nothing truer in the world is that I always said, I did not want to be a mommy blogger. I did not want to write a motherhood book. You know, I was going to write about serious things and um, write for a male and a female audience. And anyways, I, after the past three years, I've kind of really done a lot of inner work of looking Mm -hmm. at um, just the things that I repressed. And I realized there's really a lot of sexism in that of like, I've just internalized these messages that that motherhood can't be serious artistic inquiry or it can't be um, Mm. something worthy of my time or someone else's time. And not in the fact of raising kids because I've always believed in that. But as far as I guess, creating art or literature or spending a lot of time talking about motherhood, that's always been something I've sort of pushed off. And so with this project, I really felt an invitation to you press into that a little bit and, and explore that. And so kind of started unpacking, um, unpacking a lot of, I guess, like social messaging about motherhood that, that women receive and how that affects us and what we can, yeah, how we can sort of begin the, the inner work of, of unpacking that spiritually and, and becoming more free mothers and just women. Yeah. So why the wilding part, like rewilding? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We were going back and forth, the publisher and I, on a title for a while. And I wanted the word wild in there. Yeah. Um, But I had, I don't know if unconsciously I remembered the word rewilding, but I I wasn't consciously aware of that word. And then one day I just sort of stumbled across it and it clicked. Um, And what it means is like, environmentalists will rewild a piece of land Mm. by removing all of the harmful human intervention that has been done to it and maybe reintroducing species that were originally there or um, letting, you know, basically just letting the land rewild itself until it comes to a, you know, more biodiverse state. It, It has a healthier ecosystem and there are like these very measurable signs to tell um, that things are going well. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but at, from, from like a human perspective, it might look less nice on the outside. Um, but in actuality, we can see that it is thriving in the way that it was meant to be. And so kind of taking that principle to motherhood and say, you know, if we kind of pulled, pulled back all of these detrimental human messages that we've applied to motherhood, what would be left? You know, if we let it rewild itself, could it be, um, could it be a self-sustaining ecosystem that would be flourishing and vibrant and maybe look a little unkempt from the outside? Um, but, but in, in our hearts or in our lived experience, could it be a lot more vibrant and hopeful? And I think the answer is yes. Yeah. I love that analogy. It really helps sort of frame things for me because, right, you go out into a forest and you don't expect there to be like, like straight lines of trees and you don't expect, you know, everything to be sort of kempt and like, you know, put together, but it has its, the beauty is in the, the messiness maybe, you know, right. Yes. I think I really, I really like that. I think that's helpful. So. Yeah. 
That's cool. So, I mean, I guess that leads me into thinking about one of the first things that sort of jumped out to, well, I'll back up. One of the, one of the things about parenthood that I think is, was my, was one of my earliest uh, realizations was that we literally have no control, right? Like, like even as in the, in the womb, right. You feel like uh, you want to have some control over that process, but there is no control. And like so much of, I, I think, motherhood and parenting as well is just this like realization of loss of control. Can you talk about some of that, like control, losing control, all of that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it is, it is terrifying <laughs> and it's, it's a new terrain, right? I mean, I, I think of women I know who have tried to conceive for a long time and there is there is no way that you can make that happen you right. know there is a complete lack of control in that um and for me you know i became a mother through adoption first yeah. and it was just i was totally blindsided by because of early trauma there was there were behavioral things and there were specific challenges to our situation and I just, so I think that the loss of control was maybe even more intense um, because it wasn't even the normal kind of out of control that my friends were experiencing, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, and oh man, that just like wrecked me for several years. And I think that is a really common experience in parenthood because there is no way to prepare for that. We spend our whole life learning how to control our environment, learning how to control ourselves, learning how to control what we want the outcome to be. And yeah, and then you get thrown into parenthood, however it happens, and realize like there are very few things that I have power over here but I think we become we become good parents when we begin to let that go and, mm -hmm. and to realize, oh, this isn't about controlling an outcome or controlling this human being. This is this is about connection, which is which is a greater human story, you know, of like we're here not to yeah. not to dominate or control one another, but um, but to find connection and to find meaning together. And um, yeah, I think I think parenting is such like a microcosm of just being a human being. It's it's taught me so much. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting because we we were opposite. You know, we had two bio kids first, and then came through the adoption process. And I don't know, even in the adoption, like you have so much less control over certain things during the like years, uh, the, the months in the womb, right? You have no control over those things, even like what's taken into the body and all of that stuff. But at the same time, like these, out, like no outcomes are guaranteed for, for uh, your child. Like, you know, you can have a perfectly healthy pregnancy and then there, there's something sort of like out of left field, you know, that happens. And then like, you know, our, our we were domestic adoption and, you know, some of that was messy, but then like, you know, our, our little guy like is pretty, pretty good on a, on a lot of things, you know? And so it's just like, just this realization that like, I didn't even, I had less control than I even thought I did, I guess, <laughs> once we came into the adoption process, you know? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, th I think you're right about uh, all of that. It's even, it's even complicated, I think, to talk about motherhood as I was reading the book. I mean, when you talk about femininity, and then motherhood too, but like motherhood doesn't encompass femininity either. Right. And like, like all of these concepts I think are really 
I don't even know the word nebulous or sort of like hard to pin down. Did you have trouble sort of like navigating that writing the book? Yes. And, and I think there's, there's so many, especially the, the national conversation now of, you know, of like being more, trying to be more inclusive and, yep. and like not isolating people from, you know, how they feel that they identify or, or whatnot. But like, at the end of the day, I'm like, my reader is, you know, kind of having to, to, to hone in and identify who my right. actual reader is. Now I'm not putting this out, you know, for, it's not required reading for every person in the world. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. It's mostly going to be white Christian women who are married to men and, you know, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that distinction between like, as, as someone who has not been the kind of quintessential flowery, sweet, delicate woman like there are parts of me that have often bristled at words like femininity because I feel like someone's trying to put something on me that doesn't fit and I think that what began healing that was kind of discovering this there's a lot of buzzwords now about like divine feminine and sacred feminine and and those things were definitely a part of my journey Um, but just this simple idea of what how a feminine spirituality differs than a masculine spirituality and how we all need both to come together but how um the majority of our you know religious institutions are very very masculine and so that's in ways of like um you know very clear definitions of you know the law very clear definitions of right or wrong and morality um very specific rituals, very specific um, expectations. And those things are really good because they call us to something up, you know, to to something specific, to something um, greater than ourselves. But then I think that from my understanding, as far as my own research is the feminine spirituality is more earthy and incarnational Mm -hmm. and relational, um, often quicker to give mercy, quicker to forgive, um, quicker to encounter God in the elements in nature and so like I said it's tricky because it's not like yes it is male and female but also we are meant to integrate both Mm. of them because we have both parts and you know I'm married to someone who is not the stereotypical man who like watches football on on Sundays or whatever like he he would rather read poetry and you know drink coffee I mean he loves beer but like (laughs) you know he's very um he's he's very outside the box in some of that way um and so that's really been helpful for me because often when I get to when I get into the stereotypes too much he kind of reminds me well that's not exactly true or not everybody's like that and we I think, I think it's helpful for me to kind of integrate some of those so that it's not this dualistic thinking of masculine, feminine, male, female, but, but kind of trying to seek ways to become a whole person by all of that coming together. Um, that was a, that was a long answer to your very good question. No, I, I, I think that was a great answer. I I, uh, I appreciate that answer because we do get into these binaries. We're just binary people. And I think a lot of it's trying to come to the center in a lot of those things, you know, but there is no like masculine means this, feminine means this. And it's like pretty, I think it's detrimental uh, a lot of times to kind of just how we just think about ourselves. Like you were saying, can you talk a little bit about like when you say 
you know, uh, even the word feminine was hard for you. Can you, can you talk about what, what you mean by that? Like what you felt like didn't necessarily fit, uh, in, in that word? Yeah. You know, I, I feel like for most of my life, when I, when that word has been used, it means like wears dresses <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe has vases of flowers around the house. And actually both of those things I really like, <laughs> but, but, um, but, you know, it's, it just feels like it's a very narrow specific thing. And um, maybe, maybe more as far as characteristics of like someone who is meek and maybe very submissive and very, um, I mean, maybe quiet, but maybe just, just willing to go along with the status quo, right. you know, if I can say that, like, I think that that's kind of also part of our idea of a feminine person is sort of maybe able to be controlled. And maybe, maybe that's what I have pushed against, you know, it's not so much the flowers and the dresses, because I like right. those things. But I'm like, I don't want, you know, I don't want people thinking they can walk all over me, or I don't want to, um, I don't want to be taken advantage of, or I don't want to be, I don't like, I don't want to be counted out. And it's not that I want to boss other people around. It's just, I want my voice heard. I want to be a part of the conversation. And I feel like that this kind of idea of feminine that at least I was thinking, and I think a lot of times we think is, is a lot more um, submissive and kind of going to go with the flow. And I don't always want to go with the flow. Right. And I, I, I hate that that's like the female experience in Christianity. Like, it's so frustrating to me. Like even you're, even when you're talking about, you know, you get into sort of this, this mother nature of God, but like how, why is it so hard to like really understand both male and female being created in the image of God? I don't, I don't understand why that is like such a hard thing for us to understand. And like that there is a, that, that, that both sides, both things can be true. It's not just like the male side is created in the image and the female is just this sort of like offshoot or whatever. Like it's, it's literally, I mean, that's like the ultimate proof text. I mean, that's there, like in, in, uh, in the image he created them, you know, it's just like, right. I, I don't get it, Shannon. I guess yeah. I'm lamenting. <laughs> I know, no, I know. It's very frustrating. And, and, you know, I mean, it's, I'm sure a product of, you know, centuries of patriarchal societies where, yeah. you know, the women didn't have the legal rights or the, you know, I mean, even in, in the biblical text, we see a lot, a lot less equality than we have today, but it's like, right. why hasn't that part caught up the, the way that the rest of society has, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, 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 you know, going back to that, I do think that there's like this, um, this binary that you're talking about of like, if we start exploring or asking questions about the feminine parts of God, then people can get really scared and really defensive. For and, sure. and like, you're trying to like totally change my religion or you're, you're practicing some kind of heresy. But when the reality is like, but what we say is, is God is spirit. God is neither male or female. So like, right why not have permission to explore all of who God is um, and, and not discount one or the other. It doesn't mean like, like down with the metaphor of God as a father. Like it doesn't mean that, you know, right. it's just, it's trying to expand and, and 
create more love for God because we see more of God. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And, and there, I, I mean, we totally neglect the metaphors where God is pictured as a woman, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I think that's, uh, yeah, I think that, I think we just miss like a, like a big part of our, our Christianity that way. Have you found that like, I mean, maybe you don't want to dig into this, but ha- have you found like your uh, transition from, you know, Baptist to, to Catholic, has that shifted in some way? Are there different ways of thinking just like in the, in the Catholic church about that? Well, you know, I think the Catholic church is so big. It's almost like, it's almost like, you know, are there different ways to be like, how many different ways are there to be Protestant? Right. You know, that's like right. how many, yep. <laughs> I mean, Catholics are obviously more under a unified umbrella, but there's yep. just so there's such a wide spectrum of, um, practice and experience and even belief in, in some ways. Um, so, I mean, I, I would definitely, I would definitely say that my personal experience of Catholicism has been a little more, uh, liberating, Mm. but at the same time, I'm very aware of the exclusion of women in the structures of the church, you know, but, but the structures of the church don't necessarily affect my everyday life, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's like, but, um, you know, I was raised Baptist, but by pretty moderate parents. Um, my, my dad was a theologian, so they were, they took their faith very, very seriously, but they weren't, you know, the super conservative Southern Baptists. They mm. were, they were pretty moderate. Um, and so I, you know, I think I've always really seen, women lead churches. I've always really seen women have a voice and be taken seriously. And I'm really lucky in that much of the staff is is female and not just, you know, children's ministers or whatever. So I, I do feel grateful for that. But I think we, you know, every every vein of Christianity still has so far to go to to make this what I believe God imagined what God wants it to be, you know, within mm-hmm. the as far as giving women equal footing and giving, giving women a voice in, um, how theology is formed and how decisions are made and the practices that we, that we give ourselves to. So I, I look forward to the future because I think we're definitely moving in that direction. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I think it's a really great move. Uh, and yeah, I think there's a lot of hope, uh, hope there, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, one of the cool parts about talking about all this stuff and talking about even Catholicism is, um, Mary, you know, talking about the mother of Jesus who, who literally gave birth to, you know, God, uh, incarnate. And I think, uh, I'll speak for all Protestants when I say we don't take Mary seriously enough. I don't know if I probably should uh, (laughs) say that, but like you even talk a little bit about the book, how like. Mary was sort of a tripping point for you at some point uh, with Catholicism. And then, you know, you sort of realized uh, the, the, I don't know, the importance of, of Mary. Can you uh, maybe talk a little bit about that? Yes, I could talk about Mary all day. <laughs> yeah, that was actually, you know, yeah. One of the things I was like, oh, my husband was, was interested in Catholicism first. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. Like I just, the Mary thing, which is kind of the, which is kind of the line for, for Protestants like me who just like don't know anything about Catholicism. <laughs> right. it's like you see the Mary statues and it's like, it's over, you know? Right. <laughs> so it was a little, it was a lazy answer, but, but yeah, I mean, even when I had done 
you know, gone through the classes and learned all about Catholicism, it was still Mary was like, uh, I mean, she's fine, but like, I'm, I don't really have a lot to like, I don't engage that very much like as a new Catholic. Um, but then it was sort of in the throes of the, the most painful year with our oldest son, who mm -hmm. was, I guess, three and four at the time, when it just began clicking of like, oh, there is, there is a mother I can relate to. There's mm -hmm. a mother who I can ask to pray for me because I believe that the saints in heaven can pray for us. Like, I think that, um, that that's true. And it was just like this really transformative thing because my idea of God as a father is a very loving parent. I've, I've never had a problem with that. Um, I've had, I have a great dad and that metaphor has always felt good to me, but like Jesus, you know, as not a parent himself and like, there's just, there's no mother. And then, so to be given Mary was like, and, and I just spent about a year kind of soaking in the reality that she had suffered with her child, that she had witnessed her child suffer and not be able to do anything about it. And that was so unspeakably comforting to me to, to, to have that, to have mm -hmm. that picture, to have that sort of presence in my life. Um, and I think that that I've seen with my, my Catholic mother friends, like I've seen that uh, be a really common experience is to really be able to lean into that as, as someone who understands, as someone who has gone before and walked in, in your shoes and can pray for you. And that's been a beautiful thing. And then from there, it's kind of, um, you know, the past few years, I've really enjoyed kind of learning about, um, you know, the kind of Mary as an archetype almost, and, and not to get sacrilegious at all, because like Mary of Nazareth, clearly like not God, she was a human being, you know, <laughs> but like kind of how she's become this otherworldly symbol of, um, of like a, a heavenly mother. And so, like I, I mentioned in the book, I really love to look at art that portrays her because it helps me kind of engage with this idea of a mother God. Again, not worshiping the, the image, but like letting it propel my spiritual imagination to like be nurtured by a mother God, be, be um, nourished and be known in a way that I didn't feel known. The idea. Like I felt very loved, but it, it, there was, it's like, we need both just yeah. like a child, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, I think that's great. I love, I love talking about that. I love just, I mean, even just like it, it reaffirms Jesus's uh, humanity that he was born of a woman, you know, and, yeah. and just the, the bodily uh, nature of all that. And I think it, I think it's a really important thing for us to keep coming back to. And I, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I would say that I was definitely in that same boat of like, Oh, with Catholicism and Mary and all that stuff. And like, you know, I think, it shows how much Protestants miss out on, on a piece of, 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 you know, the story uh, in a lot of ways yeah. too. So I think that's, yeah, I agree. Like, I, I think what you said is exactly right. Is that it really, um, it really hits home Jesus's humanity and his yeah. experience as a human. And I think we don't spend enough time, you know, meditating on that really like that. That's yeah. such a powerful, I, a little plug for my first book, Embracing Weakness. It's it's really about that, about kind of this incarnational faith and 
and um, the idea of Jesus becoming human and what that means for our life. But yeah, I think I think even just like picking through the stories um, in the Bible that Mar Mary's not in a ton of the gospels, but yeah. where she is, it's so familiar. Like mm. it's so, I, one of my favorites is the wedding at Cana where she like bosses Jesus around and tells him to <laughs> right. turn the water into wine and, and he kind of like snips at her or whatever, you know, but yeah. then he does it because it's just like such a sweet portrait of family life and it really humanizes these people that have become so so much larger than life that we can't really see ourselves in them and if we can't see ourselves in um you know Jesus who who became human like what's the point we've got to we've got to go there we've got to be able to um make that connection and, and see how that attachment is there in that way of, of that solidarity, I guess, is the right word um, that he's offering us in that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. I'll make sure the other book is in the show notes along uh, along with this one so people can okay. check that out. It sounds awesome. Uh, yeah. And then you see her at, at the, the biggest points in his life. I mean, she didn't travel with him, but like when he's uh, on the cross, you know, there's Mary and uh, in these places that you would expect a, a mother uh, to be, you know, yeah. really. Um, yeah. Yeah. The resurrection. And <laughs> right. yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's like, it didn't, doesn't even say that she didn't travel with them. Like right. she did, don't, you know, but yeah. yeah, I think it's a fun study to look and see the specific places where she appears and what happens. It's, it's very um, and comforting. I think. I very much agree with that. Uh, so that, that brings me back uh, to this idea of of sacrifice, right? Because I, I guess, so a woman, I, I mean, when you're giving birth, when when a, a child's in the womb, like you have sort of, in a lot of ways, given your body over to that child, right? I mean, like, and yeah. that goes on throughout, you know, like sort of early feeding and, right? And you talk a lot about like the self-sacrifice aspect of motherhood, but, but like maybe even sort of disconnecting from that self-sacrifice, like, that motherhood is encompassed in, in sacrificing oneself, you know, for their children. Can you talk a little bit just about that aspect of, of motherhood? Yeah. One of the things that was important to me in the book was like to help women kind of extrapolate this idea of self-sacrifice and selflessness. And I think selflessness, you know, generally we use that as, as a positive word, but if you think about it, I think it's something that women really internalize of like, oh, especially women in the Christian tradition, maybe yeah. because we're, because we're, we're getting these messages of like, you lay down your life for your friends, greater love hath no man than this, you know? <laughs> right. And so, and, but women are already asked to do that. Mothers are already asked to do that. Yeah. And so it just, it feels like, well, I guess it's, I guess the only solution is for me to become absolutely nothing for me to have no needs, no desires, no, no hopes of my own to just live to serve, you know? And I think that's, that gets obviously really dangerous and, and unhealthy for women, but yeah, it's a, it's a journey because in the beginning, that is, that's the, that's the gift is that we get to learn self-sacrifice. We get to learn how, how to what greater love is laying down your life for another, you know, and um, one of my favorite images is the idea of, you know, a, a newly postpartum mother, maybe breastfeeding and going through that struggle and 
saying like, take and eat. This is my vehicle for you. And, and understanding in a deeper way um, what that mystery means and, and being able to embody that mystery. You know, it's like such a holy and sacred thing, but it comes from a place of absolute depletion, absolute just flattened. Um, and yet, like the heart of God is not for us to stay there. You know, we're, we're meant to continue to grow out of that as our children grow through phases. And, you know, but so often women can stay there because we're receiving all of these messages, religious messages, social messages that, you know, this is our highest calling. This is the most important thing in our life is, is giving ourselves to these people. Um, And there's not a lot of balance. And I think, you know, what I was really hoping to do in the book is to, to lead women back to themselves and to start, you know, this, this, this idea of honestly exploring um, what you feel and what you need and what you desire and, um, and letting that kind of be cracked open and see where it takes you. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciated that. Even how you sort of organize the book sort of in internal, And then with the last half, sort of this, this external side of things and like all the things that you reframed for us, uh, you know, a lot of these things even spoke to me as, as a parent, like sort of reframing anger or something is, you know, I, I think those things are like, uh, those things are easy to get tripped up on when, when parenting, but especially being a mom, right. There's enough mom guilt around like you know, not doing all these things good enough. And then like you throw in maybe not, you know, uh, being angry or something or, you know, and it just can, it can kind of melt you down a little bit, I think. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. The mom guilt is so strong these days for our generation. (laughs) I don't know that other generations had it quite as much. Um, I was just talking to a, a woman who's a little older than me at church and that's what she said. And I was like, yeah, I think I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it depended on the individual, but I think in, in a social landscape, for some reason, that the the pressure on moms has really increased in this generation. I don't know why the reason is. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, probably social media has a lot to do with it, don't you think? That's I true. Mean, gosh, it's just like, hey, let's uh, let's put the best version of ourselves forward constantly, and then have everybody else look at that uh, yeah. and. You know, you don't see the mess. Like I, you know, you go into people's houses and, you know, we're, we're notoriously, uh, kind of messy, you know, uh, and don't really, you know, I just have stuff everywhere. And it's sort of like, you don't get to enter into people's houses on social media, you know, and see like how they actually live their lives, I guess. Yes. Right. Exactly. And yeah, I remember when I, um, was a young mom, when I first became a mom, I was on pin, like it was Pinterest was booming. It had just begun and like Instagram had just begun. And I just, mommy blogs were a big thing. Mm-hmm. And I just really thought that to be a good mom, you like had to have these like craft activities for your kids all the time. <laughs> right. Like very specific, you know, it was just like, and I had worked in daycare centers and that's what we did there because it's a daycare center, right. you know, but so, but it was being reinforced by like blogs and Pinterest. And, and it's so funny in retrospect, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just worked so hard. Now I just like let my kids dig in the dirt for two hours. <laughs> <you know? laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Sometimes that's the best play. You know, if you can get them engaged in anything, you know, 
It's yeah. a, it's a good day, I think. Yeah, it's like why is why is digging in dirt any worse than like, you know, making your own homemade play-doh? Right. I don't know. Well, and if you okay. if your kids are anything like mine, if they actually do create something, then you can never throw that thing away because it's precious, <laughs> you know? And then yeah. you have all these things just everywhere. So. Yes, yes, totally. <laughs> uh, that's great. I love that. Uh Let's see. Um I think uh is there is there some aspects of the book that like you feel like maybe I didn't hit or you would really like to hit a little harder or anything like that? Um, well, I I know I'd be curious to see how, what you thought about the chapter about patience and like creativity. Um, as someone who's a, a primary caregiver and also also clearly has creative endeavors of your own. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I, you know, that was interesting because I, I started this chapter on patience and it ended up a chapter on creativity. And I'm like, I don't know how this happened, <laughs> but it was the message I needed to hear apparently. Yeah, I think, I think I, I definitely resonated with all of, all of that, you know, um, I, and I think maybe there is, you know, so the idea that you were talking about, right, is that, that you know, uh, <laughs> you know, we can either like sort of, uh, we, we can't ever sort of will ourselves into patience. Right. But like, uh, but like, even you go to the monastic traditions and it's like, you know, they would, uh, enjoy or jump into these, these endeavors. And you, didn't you tell the story of a woman who, um, actually like started crafting and, or, or, and yeah. like getting, getting comfortable with herself? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. as a, um, well, she, she like, she like read every, every play that Shakespeare ever wrote yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> because she was, she was lonely, you know? So she was like, I'm going to use it as an opportunity to do the things that I, you know, are on my bucket list essentially yeah. or whatever. So she learned to like carve leather and she read every play of Shakespeare. And that was really inspiring to me because it's like, well, if not now, then when, you know? Yeah. yeah I think, I think I, I, I think there's a realization for me that, that parenting is lonely. I don't think anybody tells you about that aspect of it, yes. you know? Um, and especially in the way that like our culture is sort of set up in the, you know, maybe suburb, more suburban uh, lifestyle. It's just really hard to connect with other people. And that's been exacerbated by two, almost two years of COVID now, you know, right. where like even there's anxiety around even being with other people, you know, much yeah. less being in community. And uh, I, I think I really, I think you named for me some of the reason I do a lot of the things that I do, such as the podcast. Like I get mm -hmm. to like reach out and have a, a adult conversation with somebody, even though they're like, you know, a, a hundreds or thousands of miles away, you know, yes. and I think there's a lot to be said for tapping into that creative side. And I don't know if it's the same chapter, but you talked about going back to the things that you did as a child. Mm -hmm. uh, that might've been a more work chapter, but like just those things, it was like, the, the reframing and just thinking about like, how could I uh, make them the most out of this time? Not just from even a parenting perspective, but from an also, you know, me perspective, right? Like, right. yeah, I think there's a lot there. So yes. Yeah. Like, how can I, how can I be true to myself in this season of chaos and so much self-giving? Um, right. How could I still tap into? Cause, cause what I love, what I've kind of come to, and it maybe sounds cliche, but I think I, I've come to like this deeper realization of it, of that when I am my most true self, I am yeah. most in God, you mm -hmm. know, like yeah. I find God when I am 
my truest self, when I'm most honest with myself, when I'm, when I know myself, then I know God. And that's such a beautiful, um, such a beautiful realization and I, and such a freeing and affirming one. And it, it is so different than messages that I got in religious culture for a lot of my life of like, oh, you can't trust yourself. Oh, you, you know, die to the flesh, which, which yes. I mean, but, but what are we talking about there? You know, it's not, we're not talking about um, the flesh is not our, you know, I, I think we just have to ask questions of like, the desires that we have and, and the emotions that we experience, we don't just like crucify them, but we have to ask questions about what they're trying to tell us. And I think once we start kind of probing that, then we, then we get down to, you know, understanding what God is doing inside of us and what God's doing in our life. Yeah. I think you're right about that. I think that's such a, like that, that's something that's like really on the forefront. I think of Christianity right now, a lot of what I'm seeing is this idea of like, yeah, I think just even like ther therapy, for instance, right? Yeah. Like, like you need to deal with your stuff, right? And like, yeah. it just doesn't mean like, like, it's not just like that Jesus like does all of that for you. Like there's also like family structures that you've grown up with and you have habits and you're annoying sometimes and like, <laughs> that's everybody, right? But you, you need, you can't not deal with that stuff or else yeah. it will just like ruin relationships. And so you know, uh, my, our parents' generation, I think we're much less prone to like sort of delving into the past or seeing the past as even, uh, formative, uh, yeah. to us, you know, and I think there needs to be a balance of those, those things for us. Like, yes, sin, yes, Jesus, yes, Holy Spirit. Yes, yes, yes. But also the Holy Spirit can work through somebody in a therapy session or in spiritual direction or something like that. Right. right absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes more so there because, right there's, there's just, the path has been cleared, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right. And you're in community. We were meant to be, to do these things in community, relational people. Right. And you just like thinking that you can just sit somewhere and just like really will yourself to stop sinning or something, whatever that yeah. means for you just doesn't make sense from even how God created us as a communal people. Right. Mm. And the spirit speaks in communities, I think. And so, yes. Yeah. yeah that's there's a, great. There's a lot there. So. Well, that's, uh, that's awesome. Shannon, where are the best places for people to sort of, uh, you know, find you and, and all of that stuff? Yeah. Um, my website is Shannon K, the letter K Evans.com. And mostly on social media, I hang out on Instagram uh, and it's the same at Shannon K Evans. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, just a little less frequently, but you can find me there. I love it. That's awesome. Well, uh, are you okay jumping into the final two questions as we sort of wrap up here? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So my first question is, what is the strangest job that you have ever had? I think this, I mean, it, it was strange, strange in that it's unusual, but I, I was the caregiver for my grandmother for a year, huh. um, a few days a week when she, she was living with my parents and they were both working full time. And it was, it was such a unique uh, and really valuable experience. Cause I, you know, I think we're so removed from aging a lot of the times, um, but uh, uh, she's passed on now, but, um, but it was really great for me to a like deepen my relationship with her, but then also see and kind of empathize with the process of aging and how difficult it is, but how much, how much value 
elderly people still have to to bring to the table, have mm. this, um, to offer, not just you know wisdom as we kind of like to say, but also humor and <laughs> levity. Yeah. I mean, my grandmother was a really funny lady, and she made my life better. Mm. Um, but yeah, the the strangest part of that job was probably uh, I had to I had to clip her ingrown toenails quite frequently. Mm. Yikes! <laughs> that's a that's a lot of love right there. That's it uh, was a lot of love. Yeah, yeah. right. That's Prepared awesome. me for motherhood <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> Uh, okay, so then my final question is, what is one piece of advice you would give to somebody looking to bring God's kingdom more into their work? Ooh, let's see, let's bring God's kingdom more into their work. I would say, pay attention. Hmm. Um, I think noticing and paying attention is really kind of a radical spiritual act. And so often we can kind of get get hung up on like our own agenda or our own um, ideas about what needs to happen or, or how God should be moving um, in a, in a situation or, or a um, place. And we actually miss what is already happening. And I think kind of tapping into that, like spiritual practice of, of paying attention. And then from there kind of joining in to what to what God is already doing. Yeah. I love that. I think that's really important stuff, Shannon. And yeah, this, like the book is awesome. I really appreciate the work and just, yeah, I think the people are going to get a lot out of it. My wife, actually, when I got it in the mail, she was like, oh my gosh, I just put that on my list to read. She had seen oh. it on somebody else's social. So oh, that's awesome. Uh, I'm excited for her to read it and uh, we'll chat about it and stuff. So thank you for all the work and thanks for making time for me on the, on the podcast. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Shannon and uh, thinking and talking a little bit about uh, motherhood and, and more broadly parenting and just what that means for us. Uh, go check out Shannon's stuff. I linked her website. You can find all those books we talked about, all the all her writing, just so much good stuff there. Make sure and go check that out. Uh, check out Rewilding Motherhood. It really is a, a really great read and and applicable to, to us all in some way, I think. So uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed all that. Now is a great time to go to the bottom of your app. You can leave a rating and review for me there in your iTunes app. Uh, it just helps get the word out about the podcast and lets people know other people are listening and enjoying. I greatly appreciate it when you uh, do that. Please share this episode far and wide. Uh, if you have somebody that could really benefit from you, from it, I just uh, ask you to, to share it with them. Uh, word of mouth is is the best way to get a theology of hustle out there. So uh, until next time, get out there and hustle. Hustle.